Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com, a Paramount podcast. I am Mike Casazza here on Monday of Championship Week in the college football season. West Virginia not involved. Not new. Not necessarily bad news, though. Eight and four teams, six and three in the Big 12. A lot to look forward to still, a lot to talk about. Chris Anderson, why wait? We've spent a lot of time talking about the games, the season at large, just in like micro form because it's all in the moment after a game, before a game. Now we can kind of step back and look at the season, the accomplishments, what follows. That is the heavy emphasis of our mailbag today from the Q&A. Subscribers submit questions. And by the way, if you're on the outside in here, if you can't figure out how to crack the code and get a question into the mailbag, maybe it's because you're not a VIP subscriber. Boy, there's an easy way to change that, isn't there? Yes, there is. And maybe not for much longer. 75% off VIP right now for Ridiculous. sports. Let's <laughs> say we're, we're not thrilled about it, but we, we take our orders and it's 75% off. Um, so hop in now because I, I, I can't even explain to you, Mike, how often – like two days after one of these deals ends, somebody's like, "Hey, how can I get in VIP? What's the what's 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 the deal?" I'm like, "Bro, you, you just we just had seventy five percent off for a week. Like, get in there, get on it now. Don't start complaining later that something's behind a paywall or you didn't know about this, you didn't know about that, or asking what the next deal is. Jump in now. It will not get better than seventy five percent off. I guarantee it. Yeah, I hope not. What's eighty? Free? <laughs> Not going to happen, right? Yeah. Well, as is custom, subscribers answer, ask questions. We answer as many as we can at the time. A lot of Chris will come back later on, answer a few more in the written format. Something for everybody. Some people don't like to listen. Some people don't like to read. Some people like to do both. Some people don't even like to do either one of the two. So, again, something for everybody. But let's get into the actual answers to the real questions. Fire away, Chris. Let's start things off with the, the, the burning questions surrounding Neil Brown. Mike, you ready? The new one is Brown, the big 12 coach of the year question mark. A uh, couple of different people asked that. Uh, well, Jay D- Davis, 62 WVU asked who is the big 12 coach of the year. Not a lot of great options. Fatty pointed out that 
Um, it might be Neil Brown. He was picked last, won eight games. Matt Campbell won it twice at eight and five. Um, and he says, you know, given the expectations or lack thereof, considering where WV ended up, it's consideration. Mike, what are your thoughts? I think he's got a very good case. I don't think it'll be him. I don't think that you could hold it against Steve Sarkeesian that his team was picked so highly and finished so highly. Texas owns one of the best wins in college football this year. That's hard to take away from them. Sticking with Matt Campbell, I know that they were above West Virginia in the preseason rankings. That was before the gambling scandal decimation wiped out their roster. When I say wiped out, that's that's probably too significant, but took a lot of key pieces from them, including the quarterback, who was supposed to be a big part of it. They go to Rocco Becht, who's not supposed to be a starter, and he does okay. They win seven games, same Big 12 record as West Virginia. Is it Mike Gundy, though? I know that's not a fun pick for everybody. Nine and three, seven and two. Kind of picked themselves up a couple times and, and where you thought, like, maybe it wasn't going to be for them. Did it look like his team had quit on him? How did he lose and lose badly to South Alabama and end up seven and two in the conference? That's a tricky one for me to, to really get by. And by the way, they beat Oklahoma, which is again one of those good wins. But it's really hard for me not to give it to Sarkeesian just because of what they've done or Gundy because of what they were not supposed to do. And again, it's that's two different ends of the spectrum. Texas was supposed to be good. Well, guess what? He did his job. Why isn't that coach of the year? And you know, Gundy along the same vein, I mean, a little bit more preseason respect than West Virginia, but that team looked bad in the middle of the year, eh, middle of the beginning of the year. Got hot, and then nothing wrong with Brown, what he did this year. I just think that he's probably eh, second, third. I wouldn't say fourth, but second or third. Yeah, really, there's no other options other than those four that you just mentioned. And I guess it kind of depends on your perspective of what this award should be. I have always been a uh, poo-pooing the, hey, this guy was picked last and ended up mediocre, so he should be rewarded for that. I am very much poo-poo those honors. but. I don't think you can say eight and four is mediocre. So I do think Neil Brown is certainly in consideration because that's that's where you're at. It's like West Virginia was not only picked last, but so far in last that it wasn't even funny. We discussed this on the preseason pod when this came out that they're so far behind 13th that literally almost everybody voted them probably 13th or 14th in that poll, whoever it was that was involved in that poll. And they finished tied for fourth. Iowa State was picked 10th. They finished tied for fourth. But as you noted, that was 10th before they lost several key players because of the gambling scandal. Oklahoma State picked seventh, ends up in the conference championship game. Then Texas picked first, finishes first. But yeah, they lived up to those expectations, which is as important or more than some of the other things. So I I think he's going to be in consideration. He would probably finish second for me because I'm with you. Like, I want to reward the guy who had the incredibly high expectations and met them. Mm -hmm. And so I'm probably voting for Steve Sarkeesian if I had a vote. Question for you, Mike. I don't know if you know the answer to this. Do they vote before or after the conference championship game? They come out this week. Oh, it's this week. Okay, so I guess the answer is before. I was wondering if that might influence my decision. You know, like if if Oklahoma State beats Texas on Saturday, maybe the answer is Mike Gundy instead. And. I think that's a reasonable expectation. Curious that they signed before that. But okay. Yep. Last year, it was the end of November when they announced the award. So like November, I think, uh, let me see here. Uh, November 30. Yeah. So it's that weekend in between. That week in between. Okay. Well, I guess we better keep an eye out for that. Um, okay. So your, your vote is Sarkeesian as well, if you had it? 
I would probably go Mike Gundy. And that's that's okay. a hard thing. that's a hard thing for me to do. But like I just I don't think his team was very impressive. What they did with the quarterback situation to come back late in some of those games this year too. Like okay, you were trailing on a lot of them, but that's he's not he's not playing with Texas's hand. And and to be there at the end with some of those games, it wasn't impressive. But they still pulled out wins. Um, they they just maybe he overcomplicated it too with the quarterback thing and just oddly not playing Ollie Gordon like as the feature guy of the first three games of the season. That's that's like a step backward. Maybe he added a degree of difficulty, but. I also wouldn't have a hard time with Sarkeesians because I think they've been good and they were supposed to be good. And, and winning against Alabama is, is a rare thing to do in the regular season, and he has that in a non-conference game. Next question comes from WVUG13. Is the number one wide receiver next season currently on the roster? All right. I'm going to say you hope not. That is not a slight to Traylon Ray or well, that's about it. I just don't think I, I think Hudson. Clement- I was about to say, are we in agreement that if it is, it's Trailer Ray, right? Yeah, right. I just I don't think that's a bad thing. I just think it's maybe a year too early to do that, and I just don't think that Hudson Clement, as a redshirt sophomore, is your number one receiver. I have a hard time with that. So you hope not. They were probably their number one receivers when the offense was at its best this season. There was a game or two where Devin Carter was really good, but that was because they were using him differently, like like a wild card like Swiss Army knife kind of a player, inside, outside, motioning, slot, all that stuff was good. And and he just never really jumped off the the stat sheet at you as the guy this year. So you would hope not in that maybe they don't have that person right now. I don't think it's going to be Rodney Gallagher. It's not going to be EJ Horton. I just don't think they have that. But I would also say you hope not in a way that's, again, not meant to denigrate anybody on the team, but there's something fun about playing for Garrett Green if you're a wide receiver, I think. You can look at that and go, wait a minute. I'm going to go nine routes, seven, nine times a game, and this guy's going to throw a ball over my shoulder? He's going to keep plays alive and let me hit scramble drill plays? I have a chance to average 22 yards a catch? Ooh. I think there's something fun around that that idea that you can go out and you can fish now. So I would say you hope not because maybe the two guys that profile as future number ones or or twos are not there yet, and maybe that wouldn't be in the best interest of the advancement of this offense. But also I hope not because they really have a chance to go out and and flaunt the offense, the quarterback, and the potential in the passing game to be the difference maker, You know, to not only be the guy that benefits from what Green and the offense can do by shooting all those three-pointers, but also the guy who is responsible for turning this into like an actually balanced more consistent and still prolific passing offense. With you 100%. Because, yeah, like if your two, three, four, and five receivers are Ray, Clement, uh, Fox, and Gallagher, you're in a good spot. I think you're in a very good spot because those guys, again, as you noted, were the main receivers. They were one, two, and three the last you know few weeks of the season. Um, last game, Carter only played four snaps, wasn't targeted. Game before that, against um against Cincinnati and get one catch that was it so you know it had already shifted the direction of these other younger receivers but if you can go out and get an alpha receiver this is something that talked about ad nauseum with with this offense for a few years now is that essentially they had a lot of you know B receivers number two guys they never had that alpha receiver they never had that guy that you're like i can just throw it to that guy he's going to catch it um and they hadn't had that since since dana was in morgantown like i I can't think of a guy that was like definitively the number one 
no doubt, awful receiver of an offense. Maybe they were the clear number one for WVU's offense, but it's not good when you know you're one of the worst passing offenses around. So I'm looking for West Virginia to go out into the transfer portal and bring in a dude, an absolute dude at receiver to be that number one guy and let these other younger receivers marinate as the two, three, four, and five guys. And, and that that's not a bad thing, as you noted. Like that's that's great for this offense. It could be great for them as well as they continue to develop. Yep. Um 23 years says, throw on a fan hat, Mike. Who was your favorite player this year? You can pick only one. I don't know if that means most exciting. I don't know. However you want to take it. Uh, See, I'm twisted because I look at stuff and it's like, man, I really enjoy watching Wyatt Milam. And I don't know that everybody has a lot of Wyatt Milam highlights this year. I don't I don't know. My, my tape is like six minutes long. But he was just fun to watch for me. And then uh, how could you not like Green? Um, Bishop's just a fun, fun play to watch because he, he just competed or whatever. But for just for me, for what, what he was at the first time you saw him and he said, man, how are they going to get this guy off the field? And then you were like, wait a minute, how are they going to get him on the field to catching the game winning touchdown with 23 seconds left in the final game of the regular season too. Holy cow. Is this the guy, the best player on offense now? Like Jaheim White's it for me, just the way he played, the way he, he rose, dipped, rose again and roared at the end of the season exactly what you want from a young player like it's not going to be easy this is not a slight against him but like a smaller guy who's under recruited like there's going to be an adjustment for him and like his was how do I practice you know how do I how do I get on the field against Penn State and Duquesne and teams like that and consistently do it and and those are two very different teams but like a a player in a freshman year is going to have to be good right away against people to to rationalize playing time which means if he's going to cut against Penn State um, he's going to have to be good consistently against the Duquesnes and then Pitt and all that stuff. And it just wasn't there. And then whatever, I wonder how many freshmen they can push the way they did him this year. Like like challenge him, not play him, just not play him because he had a bad walkthrough. Like he got four snaps against Oklahoma State. You think they needed him in that game? Probably. And then all of a sudden he's one of the best running backs in the Big 12 at the end of the season without question. Like his stats, his performance, his durability, everything's there. So that that story and the performance for a sports writer and for somebody who looks at the game a little bit admittedly different, that would be my pick. This is going to be a very boring ah. bag if we agree on everything all the time. I mean, because for me, I was torn between green and white, and I settled on white for a lot of the same reasons you pointed out. For, for years, Like this has been an issue with this offense. Again, very much related to the lacking of a number one receiver, but – who was the guy on this team that could at any point take the ball and score from any point? For you? It doesn't matter if they're on their own 10-yard line. Who's going to flip the field or score from anywhere? And I don't think there was an answer for West Virginia for, for several years now. And White is that guy. You pointed out that he, he barely played to start the season. He Zero snaps against Penn State, four against Pitt, six against Texas Tech. You know, 18 TCU, 18 Houston, three Oklahoma State. Like, so he was essentially a non-factor almost for the first eight weeks of the season. And then he ended up in the top 15 in the country in 30-plus yard rushing plays. <laughs> like, that's how electric he is. Like, he he can get these big plays. And those are the big plays that West Virginia's offense has needed for several years now. And he provided them as a true freshman and brought that versatility to be able to catch the ball, like you noted, on the wheel route for the game winner. So it's Jaheim White for me as well, with Garrett Green a very close second. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them. And easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Um, next set of questions, Mike, I think, and, and I do mean set because there are about 20 of them. Here we go. Yeah. Buckle in. Because all pretty much related to coaching staff changes. Um you know, do you think Neil will make major changes to the staff? Do you think they need to make a move at defensive coordinator? Do you think they um, need to make changes to assistant coaches? Do you think they need to bring back the split of a secondary coach, no. co-defensive coordinator? They had that. Uh, yeah. yeah they didn't that oh, yeah. I mean, that's how it's set up technically right now, correct? Yeah, and that's just, that's just titles for resumes. Yeah. But so essentially – uh, Bacon Mike 47, Blue and Gold 81, Yidio 10, um, and on and on, all asking, what's the move for the staff? What's the what's the personnel um, move for WVU this offseason? All right, so let's go piece by piece here. Look at the offense. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, like, I don't know the sacrificial lamb to make fans happy that bloodthirst is going to come from the offense where it has to or it should. Like, oh, get rid of Sean Reagan. Well, what did that guy do? Like the best part of the team is the offense, and the best part of the offense is the quarterback, and he's the quarterback coach. So that doesn't seem like that makes sense to me. You just got your tight end coach and receivers coach. They're young assistant coaches who had never coached at the FBS level before. One had never coached college football before. So your tight end and receiver coach probably seems safe because part of Brown's thing is let's hire and develop young coaches. Let's give them a chance to grow. We lose them great for them, bad for us, but that's part of the cycle. That's a thing that West Virginia is going to have to do. So they're not going anywhere. You fire Matt Moore? Probably not. So who on the offense are you getting rid of? That's tough. Oh, yeah. Jad's got your offensive coordinator. Nobody. Nobody, yeah, right? Just, yeah. so that's fine. Now, this is not to say that somebody may not get hired. I just, but that just seems to me like it's going in a good direction. I'm not sure who's going to rush to leave here right now. So I, I don't know that's going to happen. Defense, different story. So I wanted to look at things and say, okay, they might be able to make this decision easy instead of not firing anybody and just saying, all right, this guy's contract runs out. Uh, I'm not going to do the homework for y'all, but like, let me just say this. It doesn't matter to me. Like, If you're not going to make changes in offense or your head coach, you have money to spend. And if you flinch at a couple hundred thousand dollar buyout on an assistant coach because he's got one year left, shame on you. So if you think that you got to make a change, whether you're the head coach or the athletic director or the defensive coordinator himself, it says, I got to get better at this spot on my coaching staff, you do it. You just do it. I don't care how much time is left. I don't care how many years are left. It just doesn't matter to me. Like, this is not an excuse anymore. So, and it shouldn't be an excuse. So that doesn't matter to me. So at this point, you look at it and you're going to have to figure in recruiting. You're going to have to figure in transfer portal and who knows the most people and has the most contacts and get into the most, you know, living rooms or group of five schools or power five schools and, and figure out who they know. 
it's complex. But I just don't know that you could bring everybody back on defense because that was the play last year. That was the play last year. Two years ago, they made Brown change the offense a little bit. I don't think that Graham Harrell was his pick. He was available. He was highly touted. And they got him for a discount. And it didn't work. And that was not what Brown wanted to do, probably. And it didn't work. They let him pick the offense this year. And it worked. Now, did he want Blaine Stewart and Bilal Marshall to be his tight end and receivers coaches? I would argue no. Just based on what we know about who else they talked to. But he still got to pick his guys. And it worked out okay. He did not do that on defense. He doubled down and he said, I know these guys been to war with them. They're better than they were last year. They're going to be fine in 2023. Hard to say that worked. So now you say you can't, you can't do that again. Like you tried, it didn't work. And what gives you the initiative to do that again? I don't know that that exists, but then you also say you did a good enough job reinventing the offense. You certainly earned yourself another year here. Carte blanche. Whatever you need to spend, whoever you need to go get, that's on you. But changes are afoot, and it's time for you to put the best foot forward here and fix this defense. That's how this is going to go, I would imagine. And if they come back and he says, yeah, I like what I have, you, you kind of like tell him to go back and come back when he has a better answer. I think there needs to be self-reflection on that side of the ball of why things are happening the way they are. I have been consistent throughout the year in that I'm okay with some of the scheme and like, I I think I've said this a few times post game. Like I know why Jordan Leslie is setting up some of the coverages that he's setting up, but it's dangerous, but I know why he's doing it because he doesn't really have a choice. And the biggest issue on the defensive side of the ball is the Jimmy's and Joe's like, they just do not have the talent back there. Here's the thing that's still on the coaches. That is still on the coaches, but what makes it more complicated is so now we're talking player acquisition, whether that be high school recruits or transfer recruiting, like that's not going to be specific to a single coach. Like, you know, people, hey, well, they can't get defensive players. That's on the defensive coordinator. Not really, because the defense, the coordinators typically, now it's going to be a little different for like a guy like Chad Scott, who was essentially like one of the top recruiters on that side of the ball. So he's still intimately involved with it. But if you go and look at coordinators around the country, they are not as involved in recruiting as some of the position assisting coaches. Mm-hmm. So we need to start looking at different places. And also, like, it, it's areas as well. Like, it's not based, you know, you, your running backs coach doesn't only recruit running backs. Like, the best safety out there might be being recruited by Blaine Stewart, the tight ends coach. Yeah. The best linebacker might be being recruited by Sean Reagan, the quarterback's coach. Like, it, it all depends on location. So now you're talking, to, all right, this is a problem across multiple you know, staffers or or our approach to acquiring players. And we need to adjust that. So I'm with you. The, there needs to be self-reflection and something has to change. You cannot go again with the same coaches and the same plan and the same, you know, NIL money, for instance, and expect a different result. So yeah, if I'm Ren Baker, I'm like, what's changing? Something has to change. And I need you to make a pitch to me about what that is that's changing, whether it's an approach, coach, assignments, whatever, something has to change to get better talent on that side of the ball. Yeah. And that's this leads to this point too. What they did on defense this year was was, was two iterations of basically the same version of the defense 
So they spent the whole spring talking about, hey, we're going back to basics. It was elementary school spring football, but we're going to be really good at the basic stuff, and we're not going to get exposed by like surface-level offense against, I don't know, very standard defense. Let's not let our guys get out of position or confused or misaligned before the snap. We're going to be normal, but we're going to be really good at being normal. Cool. That got compromised a bunch by the personnel during the season. But we mentioned this at different parts on preview podcasts by people we talked to is that West Virginia was predictable. They didn't do a whole lot, and they tried to do it really well. But when you don't do a whole lot, and you don't have that that super-level talent, and then you get into your depth, not doing a whole lot dips down into not doing it very well either. And people were really able to manipulate them. And you could find some teams as recently as Baylor that would find ways to spread West Virginia out and take advantage of, let's just say, uh, speed or mobility and, and certain levels of defense. Or would be able to go deep against a safety who was forced to drop down or a coverage player who just wasn't as good. And you don't have replacements for that because of depth, but also your best players aren't your best assets on defense because of the ideas you have. So part of that is compromised by the personnel. Part of that is compromised by the plan, too. That creates the compromise that is exacerbated by the personnel. So you have to figure out now what's the best position to get our defense into where we can be less predictable but not too complex. And then, as you said, you're going to have to supplement that with a bunch of really good players. Do you have the people on the staff that can do both? And are the people out there who can do both and will join this experiment right now? That's a big, it's quite a Rubik's cube to put together, I think. Moving on to the next questions. Both of these coming from, uh, for, for both related to the same topic. One from NC Mountaineer, the other from Philip Smith 12. Um, what would your ideal bowl matchup for WVB? Philip Smith asked, like keeping the, the simple question, then Mountaineer at like, Expands on it, brings an interesting angle here. Um, what is the best bowl to pair with the transfer portal opening and or finishing up recruiting? Um, obviously, the timing of all these games can be a little different. Mike, you got any thoughts on what, now that the season's over, I know we talked about this like a few weeks ago, but now the season's over, the picture is a little more clear. What's your best bowl matchup? So for fans, I think it'd be like Orlando, because that's always been a good one. There's, there's there's always been interest in being in Florida for, for postseason purposes and obviously recruiting. It's a nice trip for you. Trouble is that they were already in Orlando for a game. So that's difficult to to guarantee you're going to have West Virginia fans go down there. They have a good alumni base down there. So they'll, they'll sell tickets to that. I believe that game is the 29. I don't have the name, games in front of me here. Let me see one second here. Um, That game down in Orlando, Pop-Tarts Bowl was December 28th, so people can make a, a post-Christmas trip out of that. That could work. You're getting an ACC team there, so there's some obvious possibilities. It could be Notre Dame. That would be a fun one, I think. So if you had to give me one, like what game, what opponent, I just think ACC, there's a bunch of possibilities that are interesting there. And it's in Orlando, and, and that just works because of the holiday. So that would be my pick. It, it it might actually still be that, too. There's a chance that two Big 12 teams end up in the New Year's Six and or CFP mix like Texas can make the playoff and Oklahoma state could get in or Oklahoma state or maybe like Texas and Oklahoma can get at large spots in the year six. Like there's chances there. Anytime that you get two into that combination, you're pulling everybody up one in the bowl selection. That would really help West Virginia because they're not going to get into the Alamo. I don't think the outlier of the two teams in the CFP New Year six would get the Alamo, but then all of a sudden you're going to have to make a pick for the pop tarts. That would be it. 
why not West Virginia at this point? What they've done offensively, there's a chance that they could match up with a pretty fun team and have something going. After that, it's not going to be Texas, I don't think. They have a decision to make, though, about getting a team from Texas in there. No worse than the Liberty Bowl, I think, at this point, which might be some pretty fun offensive matchups. Like, you might see SMU or Memphis in there. That's pretty interesting. That'll be a high-scoring game that could be fun for TV. That might just be fun for fans, too. That's not a terrible road trip. The trouble with that one, though, is the date's not as conducive as Orlando. Um, actually, no, that's the 29th. So that's, a, that's a good one, too. I was thinking that was the 26th, but my bad. However, if this is about recruiting, wouldn't you want to play in the Independence Bowl? Like you're done by the no. 16th. You're done by the 16th, right? No, you wouldn't want to. That's right. Yeah. Because then you can't. You I'll can't tell you why. Forward. Yeah. Okay. I'm thinking backwards. So that, that last weekend is the final weekend of official visits. So if you are playing that weekend, you are essentially shut out of an, there, you know, there's going to be basically three official visit weekends, the second, the ninth, the 16th. If you're playing on the 16th, you're shut out of that week. And how early do they, you think they head down there? Like, I mean, not the whole week before, right? Like not the weekend before, I wouldn't think. But that might keep you out of some of the recruiting leading up to signing day, which is on the 20th this year. So the Independence Bowl, wow, might be okay for like, you know, getting it over with, getting to the off-season program, getting home to your families and everything like that. It would be pretty bad for recruiting. Like I thought maybe it was better to get it over and done with. But the timing of that is just right there during that third official visit weekend. And if you're playing in that bowl game, you're you're shut out of an entire official visit weekend. And they're not going to just not have visitors. So then what ends up happening is you're pushing to have even more guys on the second and the ninth, which then makes it less special for the guys that come on the second and the ninth. It's kind of a cascading effect. So I think the worst case scenario for recruiting and transfer additions is to be in that independence bowl, which, you know, just a heads up, and Mike, you've noted this before, they have been frequent guests at WVU games in the last few weeks. If if they get in the Independence Bowl, just leave the league. <laughs> just leave the league. Don't show up. Just just pay the buyout and go to the ACC, play independent, because that means that they got passed by the, the guaranteed rate and the whatever the armed forces won. It's the last pick in the bowl cycle for the Big 12. If they get relegated to that, that's it. You're never going to get a fair shake from that. Just don't do it. Uh, this This is... I think this is probably two bowls. I, I, well, maybe three. I just don't know what the Texas is going to do because they really like having a team from Texas in that, and that's an SEC matchup. Maybe they get Texas A&M. I don't know. It's kind of froggy. We'll see. In that, that case, that the other team doesn't matter as much, so to speak. But in West Virginia, as far as the Big 12 is concerned, hasn't really mattered when it comes to bowl relegation. So I think this is going to be if two teams can get into those CFP slash New Year's Six, there's a chance they go to the Pop-Tarts because that means that one team goes to Alamo and the Pop-Tarts picks between, I mean, you're figuring at that point, Texas, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State are gone. Who's who's more appealing to go to Orlando at that point? It's a matchup-based thing. You could say Kansas State. You could say Iowa State. Don't know. Some of those teams have been there recently. But again, West Virginia was just down in Orlando this month. So that's tricky. Liberty, interesting. Guaranteed rate. Don't think it's going to go that far. So I would circle Pop-Tarts, Texas, Liberty, and just wonder about a team that has been to Orlando and has been to Houston already this year. Would West Virginia get a second trip to Orlando and Houston in one year? That's not great for fans. It's probably not great for the team, but I'm also not sure the Big 12 looks that deeply into it. I just think it's it's Pop-Tarts, Texas, or Liberty, one of those three. And those are post-Christmas games. So you could travel the day after Christmas, maybe the day of the game because some of the 8 o'clock kicks, 
and it works fine for recruiting too. So that those are good situations for West Virginia. Now that Liberty Bowl, you know, on the 29th, um, what was it? The, pinch, the Pop-Tarts Bowl on the 28th. God, I almost said Pinstripe Bowl. Nobody wants to go to that. Pop-Tarts hey. Bowl on the 28th and Texas Bowl on the 27th. So, yeah, you get the 29th. That's probably best-case scenario. Um, I know people weren't thrilled about Liberty Bowl. I've been there a couple times recently. And I think one of the projections was, like, Memphis in that game, yeah. which it's a, it's a nice home game for Memphis. Um, but – yeah, that, that's going to be the best case scenario as far as timing goes because it's a late signing period with the 20th this year and transfers are going to be visiting all the way up until what I think the quiet period starts on Sunday the 17th so you could finish up your visit that day. Um, and you get after that, you know, January 2nd is the final day of the transfer portal being open. So they're going to be working hard right up until January 2nd there. All right, got time for um, maybe one or two more here. Let's see. Oh man, God! I was about to say, yeah, I got time for one more, but that one—that one's going to be a long discussion. Um, let's do it. I mean, let's do it real quick. Oh, good. RBC WVU. Do do we have unrealistic expectations in today's college football environment? Should we expect better, or should we be grateful for what WVU is doing right now? I added that last part on here. I assume he's talking about WVU specifically. Well, the whole calculus has changed because the playing field has never been more uneven. People want to say parity and all that stuff, but like all the stuff they've done to make the game have greater parity, look what happened. You, you kind of have the same core number of teams, but you've also really pushed out teams that you thought were going to be in there more often. Like, look what's done to Clemson. Now, Clemson was it for a while, but now because NIL is so important and that team hasn't leaned into it, all of a sudden, eight and four year at Clemson is like a disaster for people here like, I don't know how I feel about that. They know how they feel about it at Clemson. It's a disaster, which is weird, but that's what this has done. So you really kind of have to give it time to recalibrate, let your team find a pattern and, or a groove and fall into it, but also step out of it because they realize that they're able to get higher by doing A, B, and C or X, Y, and Z, whatever you want to say. So the expectations are just kind of fluid and volatile right now. I would, this is not the best thing to say, but just be patient about trying to figure out what it is. But also it would really help if your school gave you a nod. And said, "Hey, we expect this, or we have we're happy about this, or we're not happy about this, or we don't anticipate this ever happening again." And here's why we're gonna make sure this does continue to happen, or this no longer happens. So there has to be a, a way for schools to really nudge their fans into the direction of expectations, which, as we discussed, has by and large been absent here. But you also have new guy in charge, so maybe he needs time to figure out what the landscape is and what the outlook is. But it's just so hard for West Virginia because eight and four feels like it could be better, but they haven't had eight and four here in a while. And then didn't beat Texas and Oklahoma this year, but they don't have to worry about Texas and Oklahoma in the future. So this may be like a high for them in the Big 12. It may also be maybe not the basement, but, you know, that that area in between like your basement and your main level, like a split foyer. So it, it may be something that you look down on in the future and say, remember that eight and four year in 2023? And now it's a nine or 10 win season every year. Wow. So it's like it's just hard right now. And that's the frustrating thing for fans is that you have in your hands. And you don't know what you look at because it doesn't make a lot of sense because also everybody else is changing and posturing around you. Look at Texas or excuse me, uh, look at uh, Houston. Like, oh, we fire teams that we fire coaches that go, what was a nine and three or whatever that famous line was. And they go and they get a coach from West Virginia. He wins his 12 games one year and he's gone because it's all changing. Like an eight and four year here would be fine for Houston, but they weren't eight and four and they were far from it because he wasn't good in the last couple of years at the AAC, but. Houston's in a really weird situation too. So it's a heck of an answer, but to a really good question, because there is no great answer right now, because like things are so crazy around every program that is in this similar situation. 
You need always need to just because of what happened in the past. I'm about to tell throw a stat out here, but just because of what happened in the past doesn't mean you have to accept, you know, mediocrity, if you will, mm-hmm. or accept pretty good. You should always be striving for more. You, you've seen that West Virginia can sustain it at least for a burst, if you will, like three years, five years, six years. You've seen they've been able to do that. So don't accept it. But if West Virginia gets to nine wins, it hasn't happened yet. They have to get there. They have to win their bowl game. That would only be the 19th time in 133 seasons that West Virginia has gotten to nine wins. And I know there's people going, oh, it's it's an easy schedule. Hey, man, like some of these games were in the group of five version of the Big East. Some of these nine win seasons I'm talking about were included multiple wins over the University of Richmond, VMI, Washington and Lee. One season in particular had Worcester, Waynesburg. And Western Reserve, which I looked up and is a prep school right now. So I don't even know if that was an actual college at the time. So know what you're shooting for, but then, you know, set that bar and then shoot higher. And I don't, again, you don't have to accept that once every, you know, six years you get to nine wins, but push higher, know where your, your history is and go from there. And finish. Until next time, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you then. On May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not going to survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus.